Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 274 of Linux in the Ham Shack, and we are all back together again. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. So it's uh, we had to skip a couple of weeks, well, a, a week, I guess, last week, um, because I was deathly ill yet again. <laughs> uh, it's getting old, it really is. But anyway, everybody, I think, is uh, tip-top shape. Bill's been skiing recently, so he's doing okay. No broken bones. Mm-hmm. No, no broken bones. No. <laughs> playing, playing around with his GoPro, looking all studly out on the, yeah. sk- the ski hill. <laughs> it was quite awkward holding this stupid uh, stick thing that you hold the GoPro Why with. Don't Why don't you have now? one of those uh, chest-mounted, multi-thousand-dollar gimbal mounts well, and all didn't, that? You know. didn't know what I wanted to buy. I, I have the new GoPro 7 black, so, I mean, it has, like, the super ultra-stable stuffer merbobber <laughs> on it. And uh, so I was like, oh, I'm just going to buy the stick because I knew I needed that because I really buying it for um, World Jamboree to kind of have some extra camera gear that's small and portable. and Like you, know, you need it. I could do some. Yeah, yeah. Plus, I can use it for skiing, which, you know, maybe just really just amuses me. I'm not going to, like, put videos on there because I'm not good at skiing. Or <laughs> <laughs> but it's my own personal amusement. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I do have the helmet mount, which I just put on my helmet now so it's all set up to go just make sure there's like a quick release so when your friends like when you wrap yourself around a tree your friends can just grab it off you and get a good picture (laughs) yeah exactly exactly (laughs) you know russ uh, it's amazing russ really wanted a gopro and he doesn't hardly ever use it yeah why is that why is that because we don't really ever have an opportunity or a reason to use a gopro to go skiing with bill Okay. Yeah. <laughs> next, next time I get a free week, you know, I'll drive out to Montana and we'll go skiing. Sure. Okay. Bye. There you go. <laughs> Leave now. Yeah. <laughs> you could be here by Thursday. We'll go skiing on Thursday. <laughs> I might seriously consider not coming back. I'm so tired of everything right now. But anyway, um, we All should right, probably bye. not not you just oh, okay. life in general. All right. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we should probably get on with the show. Anyway, 274, this is our short topic episode, and we're going to get into some short topics. We start off our short topics with amateur radio type stuff, and I think I put these all together so that we can all read them. So uh, I'll do the last one. Cheryl can do the middle one. So we'll let Bill start with the first one. All righty. Well, we're ready to launch. NASA UVA satellite is a okay. A project built by a team of University of uh, West Virginia, or sorry, West Virginia, I have West Virginia on mind. <laughs> uh, University of Virginia <laughs> engineering students um, took a giant leap forward toward outer space on Tuesday when they and student colleagues from Old Dominion University and Virginia Tech delivered small satellites called CubeSats to NanoRacks, an aerospace company in Houston. The satellites are part uh, part of the Virginia CubeSat, uh, CubeSat Constellation mission, a collaborative project of the Virginia Space Grant Consortium and its four member universities. The satellites will communicate to see data to the ground stations at UVA, Virginia Tech and Old Dominion for subsequent analysis using an analytical tool being developed by Hampton University students. Uh, our students will be working with local amateur radio enthusiasts to build a ground station that will be used for radio communication with the spacecraft once it is in orbit, said a UVA mechanical and aerospace engineering professor, Chris Goyne. This will give our students valuable experience in spacecraft operations, an opportunity that is quite rare in undergraduate engineering programs. 
The launch is scheduled for April 17th from Wallops Island on Virginia's Eastern Shore. And that came to us from Space Daily. Yeah, there seems to be quite the proliferation of CubeSats going up from all kinds of educational and corporate and sort of independent entities. So lots of... Yeah, we're going to... Yeah, go ahead. We're going to have the whole WALL-E thing going on, right? We're going <laughs> to barrier of crap that uh, covers our uh, our atmosphere. Yeah, every, every, the entire atmosphere clogged with 10-centimeter cubes. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> well, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. So. Which one's going to bring down the space station? I yeah. guess that's what we're asking, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, so they are cooperating with amateur radio operators to get that done, and that's pretty cool. So yeah, we're we're all out doing stuff, you know. Ooh. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Charlie, you want to hit this next one? Sure. Okay. Service Authority signs a memorandum of understanding with Amateur Radio Group. Uh, and the story reads that in an effort to further enhance communications during emergencies. The service authority is turning to what some consider old school technology. Last fall, the SA signed a Memorandum of Understanding, further known as MOU, with the Prince William County Amateur Radio Emergency Service, ARIES. The organization, which partnered with the county government after 9-11, consists of 31 licensed amateur radio operators who contribute their qualifications and equipment during disasters. The operators can serve in a number of ways, including as emergency dispatchers, should the service authority's phone system and back ne- backup technology go down. The MOU has even caught the attention of the Environmental, Pro- excuse me, Environmental Protection Agency, which plans on featuring it as a case study in its upcoming power resilience guide. And that came from Water Online. Yes, I'm guessing the service, was it, service authority? has something yes. to do with uh, water. I'm not sure if it's nationally, internationally, or what the, the story wasn't particularly well written and i couldn't get a sense of like where this was actually about although they do mention prince william county which i've forgotten because i wrote this a week ago (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so if anybody happens to be able to jump in and google and find out where prince william county is uh, i'm guessing it's on the east coast somewhere then then we'll know sort of where this came from huh oh you're looking now okay well you can jump in after i uh virginia yeah virginia wow it's in virginia crap about virginia so far (laughs) including the independent cities of manassas and manassas park all right fantastic uh don guest maryland (laughs) sorry oh wait i got the thing here we go there we go uh that would be uh are you sure because we had two guesses for maryland uh well you know it would be really close considering you know they border each other (laughs) maybe there's one in both (laughs) there might be a prince william county (laughs) Uh, I was just looked. I just googled Prince William County uh, Ma- Amateur Radio Emergency Services, and that was the first hit. So, ah, uh, that makes good sense. Then. All right, so Virginia it is. We're going to call it for Virginia. Um, excellent. So that's actually reaching the EPA, and they're using amateur radio, or are planning to use, or at least release information about amateur radio for disaster situations uh, in the EPA. So that's kind of cool, actually. That's that's the yeah, part. The that EPA it, causes some disasters. Uh, that's true. That's what it, that's what they all say. <laughs> Epa, epa. <laughs> it's like the folks that um the folks that run say like Symantec, Norton, you know, antivirus actually release all yeah. of the viruses, right? That's that's what they do. That's what their real business yeah. is. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So moving on, we have uh one story, and this one's actually one that I found today. And this is first Bitcoin lightning payment set via radio waves. Uh, the transaction was originated on Twitter when Rodolfo Novak, co founder of CoinKite, invited interested people in, in attempting a transaction on JS8 call. So here's yet another use for JS8 call. Uh, Elaine U, or U, or Owl? How, how do you want to pronounce <laughs> O-U? <laughs> yeah, pick that. Um, Elaine U, I'm going with U, a Bloomberg columnist and developer received the transaction and the Bitcoins were moved from Toronto to San Francisco. After the transaction, U tweeted, Bitcoin is making ham radio cool again. The idea that radio waves could be used for transaction was brought forth by Nick Zabo, inventor of Smart Contract. Zabo and U discussed the idea at Scaling Bitcoin Conference held in San Francisco in 2017. And by evading internet for transactions, partition attacks on Bitcoin can be, can be prevented 
And another aspect of using radio for sending data is making it an alternate means of transferring data in regions where internet is censored. So they're actually, we're talking about doing Bitcoin transactions via radio to uh, circumvent government firewalls in places like China. So interesting kind of use of JS8 call, yes. Yeah, I, I don't think you're going to be passing the internet <laughs> <laughs> at JS8 speeds. <laughs> well, apparently you don't need a whole lot of data to implement this transaction. Um, oh, no, not not for uh, doing a Bitcoin or... You know, right, you just have to have the key, right? Crypto. There's, a, yeah. there's a crypto key that you have to pass, and that's pretty much all you have to do. It's like uh, having a mailbox address. You give the uh, the amount and the, the delivery address, which is a crypto hash, and done. So, but, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's like we talk about how JS8 call is like taking over the world and all that. And I don't know about that. Well, <laughs> I see people on the mailing list complaining about there's nobody listening. <laughs> well, there there may be that too. And interestingly, I just saw right before we went to air here that JSA call was supposed to release version 1.0 today. And yeah, because it was expiring and everybody was complaining about it. It's like, uh, the version's going to expire soon. <laughs> but they didn't actually do that. Um, apparently, there are still some problems with the going to, to 1.0. So they released 1.0.0 release candidate two today instead. So there you go. All right. Well, that's all we have in amateur radio topics for tonight, unless something else comes up later. Who knows? You never know. Uh, so let's move on to open source. And let's see. Did I, did I write these all out so everybody could read them? I think I did. So let's see. I, I guess I'll tackle the first one. I'll let Bill try and get through the last one. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> You have no idea what you're in for. Actually, I don't either because it's it's all right. I'm familiar with HL7 actually. So. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> so you'll know all about this. You can tell us all the ins and outs of uh, HL7 when we get down to there. Uh, but I'll just make it up. Don't worry okay. about it. <laughs> hey, par for the course. On the, you know exactly. Uh, but in the meantime, I'll talk about the first open source topic we have here, which is Pure OS One Linux for PCs and smartphones. Hmm, where have we heard this before? Uh, there are quite a few people out there who want the same Linux on both their smartphone and their PC. In the past, it didn't work. Now, Purism, an open-source laptop and smartphone vendor, is bringing the idea back to life with future releases of its Pure OS Linux distribution. Jeremiah Foster, the Pure OS director, announced, quote, Purism's Pure OS is convergent and has laid the foundation for all future applications to run on both the Lib- Librem 5 phone and Librem laptops, uh, from the name... Uh, from the same Pure OS release. Uh, it should be noted here that Purism actually uh, creates the hardware and the software. So in an Apple-like sort of way, they've bypassed some of the problems of creating a converged OS. Purism started in 2015 as a free software crowdsourced laptop manufacturer. Its hardware is designed to be as free as possible of any proprietary firmware or binary code, popularly known as Blobs. PureOS itself is a Debian Linux-based operating system. On it, PureOS supports the GNOME and KDE Plasma mobile interfaces. And the question is, will it work? It looks promising, but it's not an easy ride. There's long been a demand for a mobile Linux-based operating system that's not Android. So there are customers out there. And Purism has beaten the odds before. Perhaps they can do it again. I guess we'll see. Uh, Shuttleworth couldn't make it work, so I guess we'll see if... uh, (laughs) <laughs> Jeremiah Foster of Purism can make it work. Yeah, don't we have like Ubuntu Touch for a while and Ubuntu Phone and yeah. Oh wait, yeah. <laughs> there were a few. I remember having Touch on the uh, on the tablet, but it really didn't work that well. Right. So again, it's being it's being attempted to see if you can have a sort of universal interface across different devices, and we'll see if this pans out. That story came to us via ZDNet. So there you go. There's a trusted source. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's, uh, also Cheryl tackle this next one. All righty (sighs) then. This, this should be fun. (laughs) It's not, I hope I like wrote this one properly. If I didn't, I apologize. Okay. See you in a second. Okay. So Linux 5.1 may support PMEM as system RAM. Uh, By the way, that's persistent memory. That's one of the short things that I probably should have just left in there as the real thing. So there you go. (laughs) <laughs> why don't you just read this then? all right fine i'll read it I'll, I'll make you read something later that you can't actually understand <laughs> actually there's nothing in here that that you couldn't understand so oh actually you could do the review of x sticks <laughs> that would be good because you have no idea what that even is nor do i actually 
<laughs> All right. Anyway, Linux 5.1 may support persistent memory as system RAM, uh, persistent memory otherwise known as or often known as non-volatile RAM. Uh, there are numerous, numerous differences when it comes to traditional RAM and flash storage. While both might be using solid state technologies, RAM is known to be much faster, much more costly and speedier. While new solutions like Intel Optan, Optane, DC persistent memory, things are going, going looking. Okay. Well, that was well done. <laughs> All right. Things, see, this is what happens when I try and like alter copy. Uh, things are looking a bit different as it continues to bridge the gaps between non-volatile storage and RAM. As the adoption of Optane memory is picking up the pace, it makes sense for Linux kernel to introduce the support for using the persistent memory as traditional RAM. However, there's a roadblock that needs to be cleared before Linux Torvalds accept the change, accepts the change, and makes it a part of the kernel. He has asked for an official clarification from Intel regarding an issue and is waiting for the reply. Quote, I'm not pulling this until I get official Intel clarification on the whole PMEM versus rep mobs versus machine check behavior, he said. Obviously, I have no idea what any of that means. But <laughs> where's the explicitives? Come on. The, the explicitives? <laughs> I don't I don't believe it's him. Yeah, I don't believe it's uh Oh, he's supposed to be the, he's supposed to be the new modified oh, you know, metrosexual Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Carry here. <laughs> so anyway, uh apparently there's this new Optane. Have you like researched Optane persistent memory at all? Cuz I have not. Honestly, no. this story is the first I've heard of it, so <laughs> Well, it's a new Intel thing. I'm, uh, I guess I'm guessing it's dim sticks that actually preserve memory state when you lose power. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So apparently, support for kind of like uh, you know, NVMe or yeah, <laughs> an SSD. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but built on dim sticks instead of. Although I mean, hell, most uh, SD card or uh, you know SSDs are just you know dim sticks inside a case. So. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you fooling? Yeah, Come I on. <laughs> Ooh, actually, should have checked the chat room. Ah. Uh, Ted was commenting on the previous uh, previous story about the the Bitcoin transaction, and he says it's person to person. It's not commercial. Ah, okay. Well, anyway, the comment was commercial transaction on ham radio isn't that a rules violation? And Bill thinks he has the answer. He says since it's person to person, it's not commercial. It is financial yeah. though. Mm-hmm. Could be. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those icky areas. You know, the whole point of this is pointless anyway. <laughs> isn't isn't Bitcoin and all these cryptocurrencies going bust? Yes, that's beside the point. <laughs> oh, okay. So then we don't really care about that's it. That's right. <laughs> Plus, think about like all the man-in-the-middle attacks. I'm going to get up on 40 meters in an opening and start broadcasting uh, Bitcoin transactions. <laughs> and like everyone within 8,000 miles of me can hear it. <laughs> um, there there has to be something in the algorithm about the fact that you have the crypto hash for the destination address that circumvents that i mean even if you did broadcast it wouldn't it wouldn't matter would it sure come on you've done network engineering that's all crap anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when you hold the keys to the kingdom uh yeah exactly Nothing secure. <laughs> well, and on to the next story. Yes, on to the next story, which Bill knows everything about. So this will be wonderful. Yes, this is HL7 standards could open health IT infra- uh, infrastructure to attacks. Oh my God, HL7. HL7 standards provide a widely used framework for the exchange, integration, sharing, and retrieval of electronic health information. Unfortunately, HL7 standards are frequently implemented in an unsecure way, which results in an unauthenticated, unvalidated, and plain text transmission of sensitive data across networks. Researchers developed a tool to carry out an automated man-in-the-middle attack. There's our man-in-the-middle right there. uh, That exploited encryption and authentication vulnerabilities in most HL7 implementations. They were able to change lab results from normal values to those observed in serious illness. The simulated attacker was able to corrupt blood gas analyzer results for patients suffering from viral gastroenteritis or dehydration to mimic the results of a patient suffering from a diabetic ketoacidosis or DKA. Treatment for DKA, IV fluid replacements, and insulin infusion could cause seizures, coma, and heart attack in a patient for uh, suffering from a DKA. Not suffering from DKA. Of in- 
or not suffering, sorry, from DKA. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine to let you ramble all you want, but I don't want to actually change the meaning of what they're actually saying. <laughs> they're basically saying if they do this, they could kill somebody. So. Yeah, yeah, and Russ yeah, is kind of familiar yeah. with DKA with me, so, you yeah. know. There you go. Yeah. So an example of an increased security consciousness is HL7's fast healthcare interoperability resource or FHIR standard, which includes encryption and authentication provisions. FHIR users and clients must be authenticated, and FHIR defines a security label infrastructure to support access control management. Exchange of data is carried out using the Transport Layer Security, or TLS, protocol. And that's from HIT Infrastructure. And, uh, yeah, I mean, HL7 is nothing more than a, uh, well, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a defined standard of how you transfer data from like instruments and, you know, other systems, disparate systems. So you can connect, uh, different, uh, human, not human resource, but healthcare management systems against each other. So let's say you have the system from, uh, I don't know, like IBM has a medical system for some equipment. And then you have an HP system that has a, their own little system for managing data in the medical system. And then you have this big, big system that controls the entire hospital for inpatient and outpatient patient tracking and everything else. So they all talk HL7 in between each other so they can transfer data back and forth. So you can say to the HP system that, hey, I have, you know, patient XYZ gets this test ran on these results for the sample. And then it takes the results and ships them back to the, uh, to the big mainframe or the big system or whatever. Um, it's been around for a long time and, you know, it's really cool to have these standardized, uh, transport layers. But, uh, you know, in general, they were designed to be used on, uh, you know, a private network, not necessarily a network that people could just plug into or, you know, grab the Wi-Fi or infiltrate. So I think uh, I think the whole scare scare thing is, <laughs> is probably a bit FUD, um, but it's good that they're they're working on a new standard that includes encryption and stuff like that. But uh, knowing some rural hospitals and stuff like that, they have aged equipment and uh getting some of these new standards on that software and running probably not going to happen at a relatively fast pace. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Don't attack hospital data. Come on. <laughs> but you know, everyone wants to attack everything. There's, there's like cube farms in China and Russia. They're doing nothing but attacking stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's so nice. I mean, the HL seven protocol is, is really nice. Cause it's just, just, just a standard data set in and out so easy to get your data back and forth between the systems um we've been fighting for this in the the regular laboratory environment with uh you know like a chem uh, you know, like a chemical lab uh pharmaceutical labs and uh, uh environmental labs and energy labs they all have the same problem that all these instrument vendors have you know a variety of ways to export data but none of them have like a shared way of exporting data and uh, there's been a um a movement for years to put everything in a markup language, uh, preferably, I think it was called animal or something like that, analytical markup language. And uh, it just really never took off because the vendors are like, we don't care. You know, <laughs> it's not like we get, if we don't sell you the, uh, the laboratory information management system to go along with the instrument. We don't really care about supporting interconnectivity between those two devices. You can figure it out yourself. So uh, yeah, I mean, this is kind of pretty important for, those folks that that maintain systems in these environments. Yeah, very good. And even if you have something that's generally speaking on a private network, as important as healthcare data is, it's probably worth encrypting it, even even though your system is probably secure. But you never know how things can get out. So, all right. Anyway, there's our little primer on HL7, which I didn't really know anything <laughs> about. I mean, we've talked about open source and healthcare before because there's always the idea that when you put this stuff out there the information especially highly sensitive information like healthcare information that you you want it to be secure you want it to be protected and you in the open source space you kind of get the idea that that stuff can be better vetted better viewed made more safe and all that so it's nice that they're kind of revamping hl7 and turning it into something a little more secure we'll see how that goes All right, we have a couple of quick flash topics. The first one I threw in here was there's a nice tutorial over on Tech Republic that walks you through the entire step-by-step installation of OpenVAS, which is a vulnerability assessment scanner. It's open source. It's available for Linux. And I think for some 
other platforms as well. I think maybe BSD and some actual appliances uh, will run OpenVAS. But this tutorial specifically addresses how to install it and getting working on Ubuntu 18.04. So if you want to check that out, the link, of course, will be in the show notes. And that was over at Tech Republic. Bill, you threw one in here. Yeah, we have a flash also from Audacity that uh, version 2.3.1 is released, and it replaces all previous versions for Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. And they've restored the support for Linux, which was missing in 2.3.0. So also Audacity for Mac OS is now a more modern 64-bit build. So if you have the opportunity, update your Audacity. You might have to tap the PPA if you're in uh, one of the LTS builds. I believe we're still on 2.2.1 inside of uh, 1804. So uh, check that out if you use Audacity. Grab the latest. Right. I use Audacity, so I'm going to do that. And I actually use Audacity on Mac, too. So I want to make sure I actually have the latest version. I, I wonder what version I'm actually using here. Well, actually, let me see. I'm curious. I was just going to blow up the show while I actually start Audacity. So <laughs> crunch crunch yeah. oh, oh there no. it goes sorry okay. let's see no it, so we got a chat in the conference right? it didn't blow up version by using it started okay the reason why it didn't blow it up is probably because you forgot to hit record for the <laughs> no i actually i'm recording oh okay oh we got a, we got another flash topic from the chat room here okay i'm, engine, I'm using 2.2.1 so yeah, that's what it, that's what I have on my Linux box. I think my my Windows box is two point three zero, but yeah, that's close okay. Safari. Yeah, we got a got a, a chat room flash topic here. A chat flash just out. Chat J- flash jump, a jumping chat two flash. days ago. Uh, yeah, two days ago. <laughs> Nginx is to join F five. Yeah, I saw proud that. To finish I didn't one include ch- that one. Yeah, yeah, proud to finish one chapter and excited to start another. This is from the Nginx's uh, blog post. They're incredibly excited today to announce that Nginx has sold their souls to the devil. I mean, oh, sorry. Has signed a definitive agreement to be acquired by F5. So uh, there you go. If, you, uh, if you're a big fan of Nginx, which uh, a lot of people are, uh, you're now part of uh, F5. I honestly only use Nginx as a front end to Apache. <laughs> yeah, as a proxy, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> Reverse proxy. Yep. I know Nginx doesn't want to be known for having that capability, but it's super easy to do. They've made it super easy. All right, Bill, we're going to let you have uh, the next few minutes here when you talk about okay. Exton OS or Extix. <coughs> Extix. Yeah. Extix. 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 So, yes, we have moved on into segment four where we merge ham radio and Linux together. And uh, I found this uh, distribution mentioned. Uh, I was uh, on the toilet, so it's one of those toilet uh, distributions. Um, and it was it was popping up in all the stupid news feeds. And I'm like, what the hell is this getting traction for? So uh, props to them for getting the word out. Uh, Xtix, E-X-T-I-X, so the ultimate Linux system. Is it really the ultimate system? Well, I, uh, I put it uh, on a VM and tried to play around with it for a little bit. And uh, let me read you a little bit about it. Uh, it's a new extra version of Xtix is ready. This version is based on an upcoming Ubuntu 19.04 Disco Dingo. Xtix 19.3 uses the XFCE desktop 4.13 and kernel 5.0.0. That's right, kernel 5, Xton uh, build. Uh, XFCE is a lightweight desktop environment for Unix-like operating systems. It aims to be fast and low on visual, uh, low on system resources while still being visually appealing and user-friendly. The version of uh, <coughs> XTix XFCE4 is for non-UEFI computers. Kodi 18.2 layers pre-installed in this version of XTix just to start Kodi like any other program while logged into XFCE4 desktop as the or- ordinary user live. I'm sorry, this is right off a of blog post. I didn't edit it at all. <laughs> I have enabled a few add-ons in Kodi. Most important, the Netflix add-on, because, yeah, everybody likes Netflix. Uh, NVIDIA proprietary graphics driver, 418.43i, uh, 43is, yeah, not is, is, <laughs> 418.43 is pre-installed in XTix 19.3. It will automatically be used if your computer has support for it. Uh, study all the pre-installed packages in XTIC 19.3. So I loaded this bad boy up in a virtual box and, uh, the live disk booted to a, a console prompt. So I just, you know, ran start X and it came right up in X and, uh, I ran the installer to install it on the little 10 gig partition that I gave it. 
And lo and behold, hey, it, it worked. It was it's installed. It's Ubuntu 1904. It's a for sure kernel five. Um, uh, it is Ubuntu, so I I went ahead and installed all the Ham Radio Pure Blend packages. You know, doing the uh, apt install Ham Radio dash star, and uh, that worked uh, without a problem. And I, I looked at the U limit on it as well <clears throat> to just to see if it was kind of set up to do some audio stuff. And lo and behold, it already was. My user was already in the audio group. So I said, well, let me install the Backports PPA for uh, uh, Ubuntu Studio and install all the uh, Jack and tools from Ubuntu Studio on there, which I highly recommend. <laughs> and all of that stuff installed flawlessly. I didn't get a chance to start Jack right before uh, we got on the show here, but uh, I, I know it, I, I pretty much assured that it will, will actually work. Um, so yeah, it's kind of interesting. I'm not a huge fan of XFCE. I'll be honest. Um, so I was actually looking at re- going to replace that too on the build just to see if nothing would break. And then, uh, I might have, uh, I might have a new install for the garage computer. I got that Dell out there that I haven't touched in a while. And, uh, I don't know. It looks pretty good. I'm going to have to give this an LHS readiness score. Oh, I, you know, Let's go ahead and do 4.6. You know, I did have to run Stardex on from a console, and that kind of felt like old school. So, um, did it, but beyond did it that, everything's there. That, or did you know you had to do that? I just assumed. <laughs> I, I don't I guess think you'd you also give it a, have the G- Yeah, I don't think you can give it a 4.6 if you if it doesn't give you any indication that, that that's how you start up a distro. <laughs> That's kind of a knee-jerk reaction to me. I don't know. Yeah, that's a knee-jerk reaction to you, but we're talking about people who are coming to this from, from out of nowhere. Who the hell is going to... That's true. I, I do give you that. Um, uh, you know, Okay, well, we'll go down to a 4.3. There you go. I'm okay. not 0.3 off there. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I really think that, uh, yeah, I mean, 1904 looks pretty darn solid, and it might be the uh, version of the distro that we actually bring out to, uh, to Hamvention on our trusty old dvds if we could still make it fit on there (laughs) (laughs) and i know i know most you people buy the dvds because you know they have our logo on it and you know for like five bucks we'll sign them (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll sign them for less than that okay (laughs) you never know you know it's worth a buck a piece right (laughs) anyway um yeah it was actually pretty good i'm gonna uh i'm probably gonna try playing with it some more and um i'm also gonna start grabbing the uh, 1904 uh, beta builds i mean obviously we're not in april yet so they're not live but i've already seen some uh, um either beta or release candidate builds out there already so uh yeah, so this looks really good. I don't know if 1904 is actually targeting 5.0. I hadn't really heard that, and this is the first distro I saw with that listed. So uh, that's kind of why I grabbed it, and it's uh, slowly making its way up the uh, distro watch chart, if you believe in that fake charting stuff over there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they have their own website. They're, uh, they're SE. So was that, uh, Sweden or something like that? That is Sweden, yes. Uh, yeah, xtix.se. So uh, check it out. I'm, I was pretty surprised that like the news had kind of got out so much, and their website is pretty horrible. That, that it certainly <laughs> is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I've actually it's found a, like yeah. seven different websites that reference Xton OS and Xtix, um, which apparently are exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, but they they all reference it in different ways. I don't know. <coughs> Sorry, I don't know if they're like unofficial. Uh, like some of them are unofficial and some of them are official or whatever. Yeah. Um, but they yeah, all so I'm not totally to sold on this. Repos. Yeah. I'm not totally sold on it. <laughs> yeah. So like buyer beware. Um, but if you want to try it in a VM or whatever, go ahead. I'm going to do some more investigation on it. But, uh, I mean, for the most part, it, I mean, it's sitting on top of Ubuntu. So it, uh, it really can't be that bad. Um, I, I just don't like XFCE. So that's, that's got to go. And, uh, probably put something else on there <clears throat> but uh yeah check it out it's uh, at least interesting all right sounds good I, I did take a look at some of the screenshots and things like that and browsed around to some of the websites that referenced it and uh, it's probably worth uh, me checking out as well and and again since it is ubuntu of course all of the packages available in the ham radio pure blend and all that will be readily available so yeah worth giving it a shot anyway all right, so moving on from XTX, we'll uh, talk about K-Log. 
This actually was mentioned in a Google Plus post of all things. There's still Google Plus? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, at least there was a few days ago when this came in. Uh, it was mentioned from one of our listeners, Koos, uh, P-E-4-K-H. Uh, he wanted to let us know that K-Log has a new version out there. Uh, they actually released two versions in rapid succession, 097 and then 0971. Uh, according to the website, K-Log is a multi-platform free ham radio logger, the only one able to run in Linux, Windows, and Mac OS. I'm not actually sure that's true. Um, pretty sure there are some other cross-platform loggers that will run on anything. Uh, you may have to use some sort of emulation environment, but I'm pretty sure there's more than one. Oh, for sure, FL log. <laughs> right, right. Um, but again, just reading straight off the website. Uh, K-Log is providing QSO management, useful QSL management, DX cluster client, DXCC management, club log integration, WSJTX, DX marathon support, and much more. K-Log is today already in several languages, inc- including Catalan, of course, because why not? Croatian, Danish, English, Finnish, Italian, Japanese, and Spanish. Uh, the author is Jaime Robles, Echo Alpha 4, Tango Victor, <clears throat> who is, of course, Spanish. EA4TV is Spain. Um, <clears throat> and then I just put in a little bit on the change logs here. Um, interestingly, K-Log is written in Qt. So despite the fact that it starts with a K, it has nothing to do with KDE. Well, it sort of does because it's written in Qt. But, of course, you can have the Qt, you can have Qt on any system, not necessarily KDE based. Um, so just keep that in mind. Uh, it's, it's, Isn't it's, KDE Plasma Qt based? That's what I said. I mean, KDE, oh, Qt, Qt okay. is the foundation of KDE, but you don't have to be running KDE to run K-Log. Oh, you just need Qt, though. Right? You just need Qt, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> and of course, it's in, it's in the Ham Radio uh, Pure Blend. It's, it's in all the major distributions it's not 097 the version on my machine was 092 uh so of course unless you're running like the really latest uh ubuntu or ppa or something like that you're going to be a few revs old but um let's see so in 097 which was the last sort of major update uh there was one main feature and a couple of other smaller features uh the major feature would be you're able to add remove or edit satellites uh to the k-log db and the smaller updates are you're also able to import or export satellite data lists, and you can also disable DX Marathon support. Now, I don't actually know what DX Marathon support is, and I was too lazy to look it up. So <laughs> if, if someone else wants to Google it. goes out, throughout the whole year. It goes throughout the whole year, and it's a combination of points from your log for the whole year. Okay. Well, apparently, this is something you can now enable and disable inside of K-Log. So if it's something you do, you can have it. If it's something you don't, you can get rid of it. And there you go. And then there was a rapid release of 0.9.7.1, which was to address two bug fixes. Those bug fixes were uh, the frequency not being properly saved in the logs and the QSO underscore date not being exported into ADIF. And I did want to point out that both of those bugs were pointed out by our listener, Don, KB2YSI, and uh, we got them fixed right away. So if you get 0971, you'll have those bug fixes. <clears throat> yeah, and on Bionic Beaver, it has 0.9.2.9, <laughs> and Disco Dingo is running at uh, 0.96, so even the, even the latest is behind yeah, there you go. Of course, they'll show up in the repo soon enough. But uh, yeah, if you yeah, want to see one, a PPA actually, for it, yeah. Uh, the website is Klog. I think it's like www.klog.xyz. So if you want to download that, you can get the latest version there. And link, of course, will be in the show notes. Uh, it's an interesting logger. It's uh, it's you know clearly cute based. It looks like a cute application when you fire it up. Um, I found the the actual setup of it kind of dodgy i guess <laughs> because it was asking for it was asking i mean what it has a lot of those little uh, question mark things where you can click on it and get like a uh, tooltip type help um for the fields you're entering and it turns out those are really really handy because in half of the cases i had no idea what information they were actually looking for uh in the initial configuration um but uh, if you click the little tooltip things, it does kind of get you through there. And then once you're actually into the application, it's a pretty straightforward logger. Not not a whole lot of uh, 
crazy information in there and not a whole lot of like, um, you know, unusable features or anything like that. And it does have a built in DX cluster and some other cool stuff. So if you want to try out a different logger, uh, from CQR logger, you know, uh, some of the other loggers we've talked about, you can give K log a test run, kick the tires and see if you like it. And with that, we'll move on to a different sort of overlay on Hamlive in C sharp. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I ran across this uh, the other day on uh, Reddit, of course, and uh, it's called SharpCat. It's a uh, C Sharp .NET standard based uh, cat control library. Uh, the author's name is Eric Kenny, and he's begun work on a new cat control library called SharpCat, and uh, what I would personally like to dub Yarkle. <laughs> Yet another rig control library. Nice, but uh, he is he is uh, <laughs> he is uh, he's targeting .NET standard, which I'm not quite sure why he's not targeting .NET Core, because um, then it could be cross-platform, uh, so that the assembly may be used with... Okay, well, so it could be used with .NET Core or .NET Framework. He should just make it a .NET Core package and call it good. Mono. Uh, he started... Yeah, no, not mono. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, .NET Core is pretty solid on Linux. Uh, he's starting with the uh, FT818 that he has, and then he plans on adding his uh, ID4100A and his... Uh, THD74A. Eh? So now you know all the rigs he has. So if you want to go break into his house or whatever, not just kidding. <laughs> um, if you wish to help him out or uh, help him uh, help him kind of build this thing out, uh, he has it all on GitHub, and he would definitely uh, appreciate pull requests and letting him know what uh, he should work on and what he's doing wrong. He's like he says he's not a pro professional developer. He just hacks at it and. Wanted to kind of make a project out of it. And there's been many comments of people saying, you know, oh, there's already Hamlib and, you know, yeah, it doesn't do async because they don't want to rewrite all the rigs. And a couple other guys are like, well, there's already like, uh, there's like Ham Sharp or something like that or Hamlib, not, no, Sharplib, Sharplib, maybe. <laughs> I, thought you said, I thought you said Shart. <laughs> sharp sharp lid or some, there's some other library too that somebody's uh kind of made in just regular dot net um uh so uh yeah so there's a lot of talk about it uh anyway it's it's an interesting project if you want to get on the ground going and try to build an asynchronous uh uh ham library and you want to kind of try to make it uh, open source and uh, cross-platform. Well, now's the time to get started and get involved uh, with this guy. He's not going to shove you away if you're just a new guy, too. You can try it out and build a project and and uh, compete with Hamlib, which, you know, people tend to say, yeah, it works. But, you know, you start spinning the dial and it, you know, your rig takes a, your application takes a little while to catch back up because it's running at such a slow protocol. And it's doing, you know, heartbeats says, you know, says, hey, rig, give me your frequency. Hey, rig, give me your frequency. <laughs> Instead of the rig saying, hey, I'm moving. Why don't you pay attention? So these are the kind of things that they want to address in this application. Well, you're and also talking about any, like you're, t- you're also talking about data rates between the computer and the rig that can be as low as 300 baud, depending. On yeah, <laughs> but they don't have to be. No, they don't <laughs> have to be. But the most that I can get out of mine is 57.6. I mean, you're still talking about, you know, antiquated modem speed. Yeah, but it, it could be sending uh, frequencies back really quick, and it could be notifying the your your computer that says, "Hey, I'm moving. Here's the frequency. Here's the direction I'm going." You know, there's oh, lots yeah. of things it can do uh, to help the software uh, understand where that rig is. And you'll notice, like more commercial applications, like you know the Kenwood app or the Icom app that directly control the rig, those are like instantaneous. When it comes to actually uh, you're getting the information back because they're not polling the rig, you know, they're using a combination of, you know, requests to the rig and also the rig saying, hey, here's here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing. You know, it's it's very responsive. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, this is not a bad thing. It's it's definitely a new and green, but uh, get involved and uh, make something uh, make something out of this. All right. Make the world a better place. Or, well, it is ham radio after all. It's not right. going to be that great. <laughs> Make the world a better place for asynchronous recommunication. There you go. Yeah. All right. We have actually reached down to the very bottom of our topic list. So that means we're about to wrap up the show. But before we do that, we have a crap ton 
of stuff to mention in the social media roundup. So yes, we do. So so there you go. And we actually have some new supporters, both um, in Patreon and uh, PayPal subscribers. So thank you to those people who are new, and you'll hear your names here tonight. And then we'll go down through all the other social media sites that we're a part of as well. So there you go. And Cheryl's going to take us through it. All right. So starting out the list, we're going to start with our Patreons. And on that list, we have Randolph Smith, David Jaquay, Doug Rutter, Stephen Harp, Andy Webster, Pete Caffrey, Cubicle Nate, Darren King, Donald Gover, John Spriggs, Jonas Rulo, Paul Griffith, Robert Pitts, Samuel Vimes, Steve Metcalf, Steve Saner, and William Heckelman. For subscriptions, we have Fred Cole, Randolph Smith, Kevin Ivey, Bill Collins, Tony Coberly, James Lewis, Jeff Zimmerman, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Todd Bowers, Thor Wiegman, Charlie Brown, Wayne Carpenter, Bill Piotr, Darren King, Dylan Engel, Alan Wilson, John Clark, Robert Halliday, Brian Smith, Johnny Kinsey, Ronald Ikey, Robert Yerke, Michael Connolly, and Jeremy Hall. <clears throat> Excuse me. For Facebook, we have Dave Bachman, Matthew Ratzel, Dave Lewis, George Ede, Brian Marklin, David Lauer, George Molesky, Dennis Adams, Jonathan Knapp, Bob West, and we have Mike Baxter from Last Man Standing. We, we don't actually know who Mike Baxter is. It's it, No, it, it's actually ran by by the producers, from what I was told. Okay. So, um, because they, they actually post through the Mike Baxter page, they post when they're on the air from the soundstage. All right. So. Uh, Fake news. Yeah. <laughs> Fake news. Yep. Uh, on Twitter, we have at KA6LMS, at EasyLog5, at WA4ILO, at WCMcMullen, at Off Trail Yeti, at DJ6KR, at KN4ORB, at Thunion, at Prince Diamond, at Bob Geisel, at G, uh, Gakian. I'm just going to go with that one. Uh, at WA4GSD, at the Hamfest, at Dope Shit Network, at Floodgate. <laughs> that, that's just the way it was written. Uh, There's nothing we can do about that. Yeah. <laughs> at Floodgate, at JD Higgs 64, at Valdal 14, at D4C underscore team, at Phil Shapiro, at Ernie Johnston, at Pilot Jer, at Greg Rog 86957875, and at Step and Jump 1. On YouTube, we have Emmanuel Cruz, Alec Gherkin, Dave Ramirez, John Trice, Raccoon NYC, Carlo Corbari, and Luke Sampers. And nobody joined the mailing list, and there were no merchandise sales this week for this time. Yeah, this time around. All right. Well, there we go. That was quite the list. So Yes, it was. Thanks, everybody, who subscribed on our various social media networks. And thank you to everybody who's supporting us uh, through a PayPal subscription or through Patreon. We really appreciate all of you guys. And with that, we are going to wrap up episode number 274 of Linux in the Hamshack. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to the folks who are in our uh, chat room tonight. We had Dan KB6NU, Don KC9ZMY, Jeremy KC0NUK, and Ted WA0EIR. And there may, of course, have been other folks listening on the live stream who didn't show up uh, in Discord or in IRC. But uh, hopefully, we'll have you all in for the next one. And for those folks who are uh, in the live chat, stick around. Episode 275 will be recorded here very shortly. Uh, but with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Thanks again for listening. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. 
Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out. in the ham shack and the linux in the ham shack logo are released under a creative commons attribute non-commercial no derivatives 4.0 international license